Open your Bibles with me this morning. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I am sorry if you're disappointed. I know there's one sister in here that wrote me, a daughter in Christ, that wrote me this past week and was disappointed this past Sunday that I quit at verse 6 of Matthew chapter 7 because she's so anxious to hear all of Matthew chapter 7. And here I am, delaying it even further. But God made this choice. I did not. I am prepared and could preach from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. I intended to do so until very late. But I want to do something very different this morning, and I hope that it will be a, a change of pace that is pleasing to you and might be profitable for others that hear it. I am handing you just a sample brochure about our church. At the top of that brochure, you'll see a copy of the sign that stands in the yard of this building. And from that, and from the letter that appears on it, to those that we might invite to assemble with us, I want to speak this morning and this evening so that we understand who we are and why we're meeting here, and especially for your children. You may want to write in the margins. I will have that professionally printed. I am open to suggestions or any errors that you see in it where something could be worded more plainly, but we want to have something professionally printed to hand those that visit us And it's even been wisely suggested that we put a little box out there at the driveway where someone can pull in and reach in and pull one out during the week, just as they do for selling houses these days, where you have something to tell people a little bit more about who we are. I want you to know who we are. For me to get here, I had to drive down I-385 this morning and pass Brookwood. One of the two mega churches in our city. You know, why don't we just join them? We can add a lot to their church. We have talented musicians in this church. We have enthusiastic young people in this church. We're committed to the Word of God. We can help them grow even bigger. Why do we come down here and meet here? There's reasons. And I hope before the day's over, we'll all be reminded of those reasons. And our feet will stand in an even place. And we are not going to move away from what God has shown us. Let me remind you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, what we began with earlier this morning. Here is a description of a true church. They turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen. My dear brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth hung on a cross for only a few hours. He was put in a tomb for only a few hours, and he had sat on the throne of heaven for 2,000 years, waiting patiently for you to be born and you to be born again so that he can take you home to heaven with him. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he hath raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. That is what a church is doing. It's a group of people coming together to wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This little pamphlet begins with the words, Dear friend, and we want to be friendly. 
Jesus Christ is coming soon with his mighty angels to destroy them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and see where those words come from. Do you understand that there was once a preacher named Noah who preached for 120 years? We read of no converts before the God of heaven came and drowned the entire planet in water. Do you all hear me? Yes, sir. 4,500 years ago, this earth was underwater that covered the highest mountains. When it ran off, it created wonders like the Grand Canyon. Right. God suffocated every inhabitant on planet earth with water up their nostrils. That's right. Most of them died flailing to get higher on a tree, to get up the side of the ark, to climb a mountain and find that it was not tall enough. There is a dreadful and terrible God in heaven. And those are Bible words for him. Brethren, Noah preached for 120 years and no one believed him. What were they doing while Noah was preaching? Eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Partying, brethren. They were partying and they were sleeping. But the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again and he said that it would be like the days of Noah. That's right. And we are living in the days of Noah. Is this nation not obsessed with pleasure and recreation and amusement? Are they not eating, drinking, marrying when they bother with it, and giving in marriage? Right. They're partying and sleeping. And listen to what this verse has to say about Jesus Christ coming from heaven. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. This church was troubled by persecutors. They were suffering greatly in Thessalonica. So you'll understand the context here. Verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His power. Amen. When He shall come to be glorified in His saints, Amen. and to be admired in all them that believe in that day, because our testimony among you was believed. Right. This is no fine line, is it? Is there a fine line in that passage that I just read to you? No. There is a great difference in what God is going to do and in what the men on earth are going to do. Some men are ungodly and wicked, they know not God, and they do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Others are waiting for His Son from heaven because they can't wait to see Him, to admire Him, to glorify Him. Are you one of those in verse 10 that is looking forward to admiring the magnificent, glorious, blessed, and only potentate, the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth? He's coming soon. The world parties and it sleeps on. Someone needs to raise a voice, and God has chosen you to raise that voice. He's chosen me to raise that voice. And though we be small in number, we are much larger than Noah and his congregation. When he had a full attendance in his assemblies, there were only eight there. He, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. We have many more, 
And God has chosen us for this generation to stand and announce with a clarion call, Jesus Christ is coming again. For those that are His, they want to be looking forward to it. For those that are not His, they ought to be trembling in their shoes. But no one trembles. This is the word of the Lord. I'm not making this up to you. This is in your Bibles. This is true Christianity. This is Bible Christianity, and hardly anyone is preaching it. Right. Right. This is how the Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven. Didn't we read in the first epistle that the saints in Thessalonica were waiting for his son from heaven? Well, here we're told how he's going to come from heaven. He's going to bring his mighty angels. You know, one other time he said, Do you not know that I could ask of my father and receive twelve legions of angels? But he chose not to call them on that occasion, didn't he? He will call his mighty angels on this occasion, and they will accompany him. Enoch prophesied of this day, the eighth from Adam. He said over there in Genesis, we read about it in the book of Jude, but he said, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, his sanctified ones coming with him, to destroy those that are ungodly in the earth. Oh, brother, don't go to sleep in your life or in here. Right. The world is going to sleep and they're partying. And they partied in the days of Noah and they all drowned. Amen. Every nation on earth that is old enough to have any verbal history knows about the flood that drowned the earth. That's right. And brother, there's a day coming when she's going to burn this earth up. And here we're told about it. And what a great difference it's going to be. He's going to catch them all unawares, and they're going to be shocked, and we're going to be excited. Amen. We're we're going to be admiring the most magnificent prince, savior, husband, brother, friend, lord, redeemer, priest, apostle, bishop, and shepherd of our souls that can ever be imagined. Amen. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and a two-edged sword is coming out of his mouth, and his name is called the Word of God. And that's why we assemble here. We are waiting for his son from heaven to admire him. And do you know how we prepare for that day? We admire him every Sunday. And we admire him between Sundays. And we remind each other that he's coming. And we look forward to that day. So we say, dear friend, Jesus Christ is coming soon with his mighty angels to destroy them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a true warning. And it's a kind warning to give the world. The second sentence, he has given his spirit and scriptures to his churches, and it is our privilege to prepare each other for that day. If you're making notes on this, and you're welcome to do so, we've already had 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10 for the first sentence. Now we come to the second sentence, that Jesus Christ, while he's gone, has left us his comforter and his scriptures. And it's our duty and privilege to help prepare each other for his coming. You know the passages in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 that speak of Jesus going back to heaven and telling his disciples, if I go again, if I go back to heaven, I will send the Spirit, the Comforter. It is needful for me to go away so that I can send the Comforter unto you. And when he has come, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. And he has come, and he gave the apostles absolute and perfect truth, and they wrote the New Testament for us, 
And we have it. And so we come to 2 Peter chapter 1, which is another reference for this second sentence that I want us to look at this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1. Please don't be disappointed in that I have changed the topic for today. The Lord changed it. I tell you, it's like it's like light and darkness. It's like light and death. Yesterday was painful. Because I like to stick to plans. But I rejoice in waiting for His Son from heaven. And re- The Thessalonians gave me great comfort last night. And they gave me great comfort this morning about waiting for His Son from heaven. They weren't afraid of the mighty angels. They weren't afraid of flaming fire. Right. They were looking forward to seeing their Savior. And do you know what it goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 4? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. There's comfort for us, brethren, because He's coming to comfort us. Right. He's coming to deliver us and give us everlasting rest, like we sang in our brother prayed. So we come to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're answering, we're explaining the statement that He gave us His Spirit and His Scriptures into His churches. And He did Every epistle of the New Testament is written to a believer or to a church. Right. To the saints of God that are at Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, or other places. He gave His churches of saints, like this body, His Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter, having described seeing Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration in a glorified state, and having heard God's voice from heaven, said this. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That whole, that spirit of truth that was going to come in John 14 and 16, he did come, he did inspire the New Testament, and the scriptures are given to us to pay attention to them until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. And when will the day day star arise in our hearts? When we see him and we're admiring him with the fullest hearts of love for Jesus Christ we've ever had. Because he's going to glorify those pitiful little remnants in your hearts that still don't love Him enough. He will take care of that for you. Until we are filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 14-19 is not a prayer in heaven. It's a prayer down here that we might know the full dimensions of Christ's love. The day star is coming, brethren. And what did He give us? While He tarries, He gave us His Word. So he gave his spirit and his scriptures to his churches, and we have a treasure from heaven. We have a treasure from heaven right here in these Bibles. The prophecy that is in these books, and by prophecy I don't mean future events. By prophecy I mean the will of God that is revealed in this Bible was not given by holy men. It was given by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Let's go in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, because we have said to our friends that we're inviting to our assembly, we've said that it is our privilege to prepare each other for that day. And that's why we're a church. We're a body of believers helping each other prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. That we be found in Him. 
that it would be found in righteousness, not in sin, that we would purify ourselves together and be ready for His coming. Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. The Apostle Paul is calling loudly to all those Hebrew Christians, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us stand in an even place, like we read from Psalm 26. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. Amen. Brethren, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. We have believed certain things, and we have professed to believe those things that are not commonly believed in our city. Let us hold fast to that profession of faith. We have sworn allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth and that doctrine by our baptisms. Let us hold fast that profession. He's faithful, and he's given us promises. Can we be faithful to him? And then we, the reason we come together is to consider one another, to provoke, to love, and to good works. The reason we're here this morning is to do everything in a Bible way of helping each other get ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of a church. That is what the Bible tells us. Consider one another. Not on how to have a better job. Not on how to make more money. Not on how to have better health. The main concern that we ought to have for each other is to provoke to love and to good works so that they'll be found in righteousness when Jesus Christ returns. And they can be confident and happy in His coming. That's why we're here. Whenever we assemble, we should be exhorting each other and pushing each other, whether it's singing, talking in private, praying. Our whole reason is to help each other prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. And obviously there's the preaching of God's Word to help us, but it's our privilege to prepare each other for that day. And we don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I have told you the horrible statistics on the average Baptist church. It's disgraceful. The average Baptist church has less than 50% of its members present on any given Sunday morning. Those are South, those are Southern Baptist Convention statistics. Less than 50% in attendance on any given Sunday morning of their membership. That means over half of the church is forsaking the assembling of themselves together. Assembling is very important. And what I told you earlier this morning about one of two of our members doesn't mean one thing against what I'm telling you now. Not one thing. Because he will have mercy and not sacrifice. Amen. But this is the, this is the apostolic rule right here. Remember what I've told you. 35% of the average Southern Baptist church, they don't even know where the members are. They're called non-resident members. The average Southern Baptist church has 35% of its membership. That means if it's a church of 1,000 members, 350 have been gone so long, the church does not even know where they live, nor know how to contact them. That is disgusting. That is wrong. That is heretical. That is a violation of apostolic doctrine. I rejoice every time we have a full assembly. I rejoice when you tell me when you're going to be gone. And there's, there's reasons to be gone on occasion. But brother, we're never going to have 
50% of our members missing every Sunday. Lord, help us. What a shame. There's a reason. We need to be together to help each other prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The last sentence of that paragraph says, He will give eternal life to those who love Him and overcome this evil world. Do you know that that's a true statement? He will give eternal life to those who love Him. Right. Let me show you a few verses from the Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. To each of the churches that Jesus Christ addressed in Revelation 2 and 3, at the conclusion of His short statement to each church, He said, He that overcometh, I will give such and such. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Lord's looking for overcomers. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. Do you want to eat of the tree of life? You're going down fast, brother. I'm going down fast with you and sister. All of us are going down. Do you want to eat of the tree of life? You know, one time he put a flaming cherub at the entrance of that garden to keep the way of the tree of life so that no man could touch it. We and our first parents had a right to the tree of life. We gave up that right by sinning against our Creator. But He has opened up the way to the tree of life by the Lord Jesus Christ. And to Him that overcometh, those that live an overcoming life, believing the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope, have a right to the tree of life. Revelation 2.7 We want to be overcomers, and that's why we come together as a church to exhort each other to be overcomers. Look at verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Amen. What's the second death? To be cast into the lake of fire. What's the evidence? And what claim can you make on not being touched by the second death? Being an overcomer. Jesus Christ is exhorting his seven churches to be overcomers. Right. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 has already told us, and I gave it to you last Sunday, when he said that he knew that a crown of righteousness was waiting for him and to all those who love his appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will give eternal life to those who love him and overcome this evil world. Dear friend, Paul warned us that perilous times would come in the last days when Christians would compromise with the world. These false Christians would love pleasures more than God, have only a form of godliness, reject sound doctrine, and follow teachers who entertain them with fables. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope that in all of your memories, some of these verses are lodged there forever. And that when you're speaking to others, you can resurrect these passages and tell them, who we are, and why we are who we are. Are you able to do it? This little pamphlet is to help you do it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to remind you of something that I have said repeatedly, and I shall continue to repeat it as long as God gives me breath. From verse 1 of chapter 3 
to verse 5 of chapter 4 is one lesson. It is 22 verses long. It is one warning to, the, to Timothy from the Apostle Paul about the rise of an effeminate and compromising and worldly brand of Christianity. It is not a description of the world at large. The world hasn't changed at large. But Christianity would degenerate until it became very worldly and carnally minded. And so we have a 22 verse lesson. They are All these verses are very strictly connected. There is not a break. We, we have a description of the character of the times in the first five verses. For it said, This know also that in the last times, perilous day, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And it goes on to describe those times for men. And this is not talking about men at large. This is talking about Christian men. This is talking about Christianity. For Christian men shall be lovers of their own selves. You say, well, how do you know it's Christians? Well, for about ten reasons. By reading down through the passage. And for this main fact, men have always been lovers of their selves. They've always been covetous. But what would happen is Christianity would be overcome by these sins of the world. Because it would become a worldly brand of Christianity. Men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous. And it goes on and describes how wicked and foolish this generation of Christians would be. And then it says they would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God in verse 4. That is so true in most churches. They are more concerned about building a gymnasium and playing basketball than they are truly serving and following the Lord Jesus Christ and waiting for His Son from heaven. Their young people can only think of one thing. Entertain me, amuse me, and recreate me. It's all they can think of. Because they're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. If you're a lover of God, pleasure all of a sudden is very dull and boring in comparison to waiting for his son from heaven. Right. Amen. Who would have wanted to play ball on the day that Noah brought the last animal into the ark? Who would have wanted to play basketball? I'll tell you where you would have been. You would have been at Noah's feet begging for mercy. I hope that's where you would have been. Because nothing else matters and the Lord Jesus Christ is coming from heaven. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Verse 5, they have a form of godliness. See, that tells you it's not the world. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. There's no authority in their gospel message. It's just feel-good sermons instead of do this or die, like the book of Proverbs is written. Is the book of Proverbs written that severely by Lady Wisdom? She's a wonderful woman. She begs you to take her meal that she's prepared. She says, I've mingled my wine. I've killed my flesh. I've made my bread. Will you sit at my table with me? Oh, her invitation is so gracious. But then she says, yes. all they that hate me love death. Yeah, right. Because when, you're, when your calamity comes upon you and you call upon me, if you have refused when I spoke, I will laugh at your calamity, Lady Wisdom says. And Lady Wisdom says that to us today through the Lord Jesus Christ and His apostles in this word. This is very serious. God has chosen you and He's chosen me for the perilous times of the last days. Let's be excited about it. And let's be willing to tell people about it that we are in the perilous times of the last days. Only a few will hear us. That's right. Right. That's okay. Let's be beacons in this world to the best of our ability. If you were to read on down through here, it describes false teachers leading captive, silly women, 
In verses 6 and 7, he compares them to, to uh, Pharaoh's magicians. In verses 8 and 9, he describes his kind of a ministry. And you know, when I read verses 10 through 11, I cannot find any white suits and white shoes. I cannot find any Learjets. And I can't find any palaces. All I can find are persecutions and afflictions that he endured because the Lord delivered him from them all. Right. He was holding a gospel that was not popular in the world. Right. He was an unpopular man. Right. He was a persecuted man. Do you follow that? This is all one lesson, 22 verses long. Yea, verse 12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus right. shall suffer persecution. Right. But evil seducers shall wax worse and worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Those poor Presbyterians that are waiting for the millennium to come in because the world's getting to be a better and better place. Oh, yes. Not the Word of God doesn't tell us that. And it tells us that Christianity is going to get worse and worse. Right. With false prophets and false professors, as we'll learn more about from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. But then Paul tells Timothy, the cure for it, brother Timothy, son Timothy, is the Word of God. Verses 14 through 17. The cure is given in the passage with the warning. Right. What does he say? Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Timothy, I've taught you, your mother taught you, and your grandmother taught you, and you're assured, you know it's the truth. You continue in those things and don't be moved. Everyone around you is going to be inventing new things. You hold to the old paths and don't change, Timothy. Don't change. Stand in an even place. Right. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. What's the antidote and the cure and the remedy for all this trouble in Christianity? The Word of God. And it goes right out into chapter 4. I charge thee therefore. Therefore is there because of what I've just told you is coming and because of what I've just told you the Word of God can do for you, Timothy. I charge thee therefore. And how serious was it to Paul? Listen to these words. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Right. Look at that oath. Look at that oath of office. Can you believe it? You get to serve in the United States military or you get to serve in the United States government for saying, I promise to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. I like this oath a whole lot better. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead and his appearing in his kingdom. There is a king coming. And he's the high king of heaven. Amen. And we are living in perilous times where Christianity is no longer serving him, but the high king of heaven is coming. Right. And the cure for it is to preach the word. Be infant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. When will that time come, brethren? <coughs> Amen, it's here. They will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They want to be entertained with fables, and so they pursue and ordain teachers that will entertain them with fables. 
And God told Paul to tell Timothy exactly what to do to fight that. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. There'll be times when your people don't want to hear the word of God. Press it on them anyway. Amen. Right? This is a 22 verse lesson. And so we, we warn people. Paul warned us that perilous times would come in the last days. When Christians would compromise with the world. These false Christians would love pleasures more than God. Did you see that in verse 4? Have only a form of God in us. Did you see that in verse 5? Reject sound doctrine. Did you see that in chapter 4, verse 3? And follow teachers who entertain them with fables. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4. Let's go on. We believe it is our holy duty to earnestly contend for the original apostolic faith against these heretics. That's why we have a church. It is our duty. God has given it to us. Do you know Jude, the third verse? Let's look at it. The little book of Jude and the third verse. As little children, when we hear the Bible read, we sometimes had wished that we lived in Israel in the days of Moses or David. God forgive us for such foolish thoughts because I'd much rather live in the New Testament. The New Testament are called good things versus beggarly things. Sometimes we think I wish we could live in the days of the apostles when we saw so many miracles. But listen, brethren, God has chosen us from the perilous times of the last days. We ought to be thrilled. For whatever reason, He's chosen you to take a stand in one of the most dangerous times Christianity has ever faced. And the danger is from the inside, not from the outside. We have no enemy wanting to burn us at the stake right now. Our feet is the lions. We have an enemy that cannot stand a conservative church like this. Right. They have brought in so many inventions, and when we preach against them, they accuse us of being filled with hate. They accuse us of judging when we don't have a right to judge. They accuse us of being Neanderthal, anachronistic cavemen. God chose us for this. Amen. We live in wonderful times. Yes. Right. If we'll be faithful. Amen. If we'll be faithful. He that overcometh. Well, I give to eat of the tree of life in the midst of the garden. Amen. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Amen. Look at that. This is, a, this is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ writing an affectionate letter to saints. He calls them beloved. But notice he says it was needful. When I gave all diligence, I did my part. When I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Everything is changing around us. We don't want anything to change. We want to hold fast to the New Testament scriptures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to earnestly contend for it. That means we want to fight for it. We want to defend it. We want to preach it. And we want to preach against anything that is contrary to it. This is the word of the Lord. And this is an exhortation to us. This is why we have a church. This is who we are. Yes. Amen. Amen. 
Next paragraph. Well, no, there's one more sentence there we want to look at. We want to be lights in a dark generation. And for that, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and see some wonderful verses. I gave them to you not too long ago when we went through the book of Philippians, but I hope that you'll remember them. This is our goal. All these goals fit together. We accomplish them at once. You can't accomplish one hardly without the others. And they're wonderful. The Lord's chosen us. You know, when I look into Revelation 19, I don't see just the Lord Jesus Christ on a white horse. When I look behind him, according to that passage, it tells me that the army behind him is all on white horses. Praise his great and glorious name. You going to be in that army? Amen. Amen. You going to be an overcomer? He's going to overcome, brother, and I'll promise you that right now. I don't know whether you're going to be an overcomer or not, but I know one thing about him. He is an overcomer. Right. The victory is certain. The victory is ours. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Right. Are you, are you ready to join his army? You already have, brethren. I'm just reminding you why we're together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. We have told our friends we want to be lights in a dark generation. Here's what the Word of God says. Verse 14 of Philippians 2. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Oh, the Lord save us. What does that mean? No complaining in this church and no fighting. No bitching about anything. And no strife, envy, or differences with others. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The Apostle Paul telling the Philippian saints, Do not make my ministry worthless by falling down from your profession of faith, but hold it fast, and be blameless and harmless without rebuke, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So what do we tell our friends? We want to be lights in a dark generation. Is that true? Yes. Amen. Well, how are we going to do it? I just told you, no complaining or murmuring. No fighting or strife in our church. We are unified at all times, and we agree to be cheerful about everything. I will be celebrating a defeat in my life on Wednesday evening. And I look forward to it. None of this stuff down here matters. It does not matter. How can we complain about anything? The Lord's been so good to me, it's unbelievable. I am still the most blessed man on the face of the earth in my humble opinion. And I hope that all of your humble opinions dare to contradict me. But you are the most blessed man. God has been so good to us. Right. How can we complain? How can we dispute with each other? We're the children of God. God is our Father. We're sitting at His table. How can we squabble at the table of the Lord God of Heaven? Let's be these lights, blameless and harmless. The sons of God, let's stand up and be the sons of God. Do you know what chapter comes before Genesis chapter 6? Where God spoke to Noah and told him he was going to drown the earth with a flood? What number was it? What chapter in Genesis comes before Genesis 6? 
Genesis 5. What comes before Genesis 5? Four. Four. And in those places we're told that then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Right? There were only a few. There were only a few. And they began to call upon the name of the Lord. Do you know how much God has blessed us? That we want to call upon His name? And that we're here together this morning? Let's continue to call upon that name. And let's continue to look like the sons of God. Do you know how chapter 6 begins? It says the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now brethren, there's a lot of naked women running around this world. And there's a lot of sex pushed at us. And a lot of flesh pushed at us by this world. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men. that They were very fair to look upon. And they chose wives from them. And it brought a flood upon the earth. We cannot go down that road. There is a reason why I get upset about certain things. And one of them is female modesty. Because that's the world's effort to corrupt Christianity. And carnal Christians, the other churches in this city, have no dress standards. The young ladies come into those churches looking like they belong in a nightclub. And if you haven't been to one of those churches in a while, then you need to go visit one to see it. You need to go to the graduation ceremonies of a good Christian school of one of those churches that's now ashamed to be called a Baptist church. They want to be known as Southside Fellowship. I'm sorry for giving away a name. You know I don't like doing that. <laughs> It's disgusting. Do you remember the passages without me turning you to them? What it says in Genesis 4, 5, and 6? The sons of God. It tells us here that he wants us to be the sons of God. Brethren, are you ready to be the sons of God? The Lord Jesus Christ is coming from heaven. And he will expose all who are the sons of God. Let's be ready for him. Let's admire him in that day. Let's be blameless and harmless until then in the midst of a crooked and perverse Generation whom we shine, among whom we shine as lights in the world. You say, well, I don't feel like a light. And no one's told me I'm a light. Oh, brethren, the opinion of your light-giving properties is that it's a God of heaven, not with this world. They can call you every name that you want. But if you'll just stand up and be a preacher of righteousness like Noah, you are a light. Yes. How many converts did Noah have? None. Amen. Was he a light? He's mentioned throughout the Bible as one of God's favorite men. Quit worrying about numbers. That's a lie from the devil. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Gain is godliness in the opinion of those mega churches. Gain is not godliness. Godliness is gain, as the apostle told us in the next verse. And that's what we want to strive for. We want to be lights in a dark generation. Next paragraph is to fear God. Dear friend, If you fear God, love the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe the Bible, we want you. Yes. If you fear God, love the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe the Bible, we want you. When I write those words, if you fear God, I'm thinking of an Italian man of the Italian band. Right. He feared God in Acts chapter 10. As soon as Peter saw him, he said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, including Italy. He that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. God is looking for those who fear God. The apostle would stand up and say, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. That's how the apostles preached. They narrowed their audience down to those that feared God. And that included Gentiles. He got them in with the words, and whosoever among you feareth God. He got God-fearing Gentiles into the number, Acts chapter 13. 
It's a wonderful introductory statement, not used very often these days. If you fear God, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells me that if any man loves not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Let him be cursed at the coming of Christ, if a man does not love Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is coming to destroy all of his enemies and to be admired by all of them that believe. And you have believed the gospel. Paul would tell you in parentheses, you have believed the gospel. He's counting on us being in that number of those that will admire the Lord Jesus Christ and are those that he is coming for. And believe the Bible. Where did the Apostle Paul go to evangelize? Did he go to the city dump? Did he go to the city mall? Did he go to the housing projects? No. He would come into a town, and the Bible tells us this over and over in the book of Acts. He would come into a town, he would take the yellow pages, and he would look up the synagogue that was in that town. He would look up the synagogue, and he would be there on the Sabbath day. And if they gave him an opportunity to say anything, he did have the qualifications to be used in that synagogue. He would get up up and teach them a thing or two. Acts chapter 17 tells us this was his manner. To go into the synagogues and open the scriptures and open and allege that Jesus was the Christ. And he would use the Bible to prove that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ of God and that he was coming again to judge the world. Amen. So, we say, friend, if you fear God, love the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe the Bible, we want you. Now, not everyone that calls themselves a Christian really fears God. How do you tell if someone fears God? Then they hate evil. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. How do you tell if someone loves the Lord Jesus Christ? If you love me, keep my commandments. How do you know if someone believes the Bible? Do they do it? Do they hear the word of God and keep it? Do they obey it? We want those who truly fear God, love the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe the Bible. Friend, we hope you find godly friends and spiritual refreshment in our assemblies. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, opposite that particular clause, when he said, and I'm going I'm to quote it to you, I'm going to read it to you since I can't quote it perfectly. Romans chapter 1, 11 and 12, for I long to see you. This is the great Apostle writing to Roman saints. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you, By the mutual faith, both of you and me, there is comforting in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even for an apostle. The apostle was encouraged, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 28, when he met the brethren from Rome. And there ought to be encouragement for us here when we get in here with a group of people who love the same Lord Jesus Christ, fear the same God, and believe the same Bible. Amen. The mutual faith, both of you and me, Paul said, it's going to be exciting when I get there. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He didn't say make sure the tent is big enough for the soldiers to come. He said I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome already converted and their faith spoken of throughout the whole world. We intentionally have nothing in our services to attract the flesh or the world. Isn't that exciting? I find that exciting. Amen. You know what? If you don't go down that road, you know what road you got to go down? Hmm. That's outdoing the church down the street, or you're going to shrink and they're going to grow. 
And that's why they're all competing with each other. What can we add this Sunday? Can we throw a pie in the face of the Sunday school superintendent, if they even have a Sunday school superintendent anymore? Can we have a Jesus rap? Can we have a youth lock-in? Can we have a motorcycle rally? Can we have professional athlete speaks for Jesus? And on and on they go trying to outdo each other in some carnal measure to attract numbers. You know what the Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2? I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. I love the road we're traveling. Lord, keep us in it. The Apostle Paul had no gimmicks at all, not even wanting to use eloquence. He could be eloquent when he wanted to be. Go check him on trial before King Agrippa. When they put an orator from Jerusalem up against him, he could handle that orator. Go read Acts chapter 26. But when he preached the gospel in a church, he intentionally dumbed the message down so he would not appeal to anyone who was there looking for a charismatic, eloquent speaker. But someone who was there only for the message that was coming from that pitiful-looking man. Jesus Christ is the Savior, and he's coming again to judge the world. So, dear friend, we intentionally have nothing in our services to attract the flesh or the world. We only want to please God. And we take that from John chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24, where Jesus told the woman of Samaria, God is in spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Right. I don't care how few we ever end up being, as long as we keep worshiping in spirit and in truth. Amen. We don't want to be few. We want to be many. But we know that only few will find it. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in there at. And that was not talking about Egyptians. I will prove that to you very shortly. You know where that's from, don't you? Matthew chapter 7. That was not talking about Egyptians and Philistines. That was talking about those following the scribes and the Pharisees. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, following the traditions of men rather than the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's too easy to separate yourselves from the Egyptians, isn't it? It's a little hard to separate yourselves from false Christians. Right. And that's what we're called upon to do in these perilous times. We only want to please God. We invite you to join us in preparing for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have read 1 Thessalonians 1 to you, 2 Thessalonians 1 to you. Now I'll read Titus chapter 2 to you, and with that we'll close for this morning. Titus chapter 2. We want to tell those in Greenville County the things that we've just read and looked at from the Word of God. 
We want to know who we are. We want to be able to tell them who we are. We have the most weighty and most important message of any church in Greenville County. Right? There's probably a sermon going down at Brookwood this morning, something like this. The seven rules on how to enjoy your day off. I promise you. They do it all the time. They will quote from 14 different Bible versions. Anywhere between seven to 14 different Bible versions. If you think I'm exaggerating, go read The Purpose Driven Life. It uses 18 versions. More on that tonight, as you can tell from the back of your little pamphlet. Seven rules on how to enjoy your day off. Precious. Ten rules on how to take care of your pet. You say they would never preach anything like that. Then you haven't watched Jack Van Empey on television preach your pets into heaven. Jack Van Empey has come out and preached all your pets into heaven. Listen, they're so far off base today, it's hard to even believe it. It is hard to imagine what is going down for sermons today. Right. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We understand the grace of God in that verse to be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles had preached it broadly to all men. It had gone everywhere. The apostle Paul said that he was free from the blood of all men in Asia Minor. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Here's how we know it's the gospel by what it says next. Verse 12. Teaching us that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Amen. Precious words, Brother Paul. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And how should that message be taught? As verse 15 told Titus, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Lord, help me. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word this morning to the comfort of your souls. And may we look forward to the day of the appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to admire Him in that day. Because the gospel has been believed by you. We're going to be the admirers. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.